Welcome, Jurassic fans, to the 171st episode of your Revenant podcast. I'm Daniel, your host, and this is just the intro because we have a whole episode of our novel just ahead of it. So just so you guys know, we are doing those episodes again where we uh, read the chapters of our novel and Unwanted Discovery. Remember, you guys, that's still available on Amazon, so go have a look at it and Unwanted Discovery. So go check it out and share it with your family and friends, all right? So, see you soon. Chapter 27. The Dry Lowland. Well, what is it anyway? Alexander Bozeman's voice sounded authoritative. Back in the comfort of the range, we had crossed the miles back at a maximum speed the airboat allowed us. Frost had been the first to run into the house as if the animals had followed us, Keen being second in cowardice. As soon as we were alongside the dwelling, Jacob immediately locked the door, his gesture being immediately noticed by Alma, who told him, Why, lad? Nothing will try to get in through the door. To which he replied, you do not want to know what you have seen, ma'am. I don't think, though, that he saw anything, curled up on the floor as he was while he rocked his body, whimpering. Bozeman arrived after a few hours, saying he had finished taking care of uh, his animals, as he called them. He seemed surprised to see Frost and King's expression, inquired then, well, What was that? Did you see a spirit? Don't be ridiculous, Jacob exclaimed. Spirits are fictitious. In fact, the thing we saw must have been too, but it had pretty realistic teeth. Saying these words, he and Frost shivered slightly. It was good to see that something united the two of them, even if it was unbridled fear. Alexander then sat down next to his wife, taking the machete from his waistband and laying it on the wood stove beside him. Now he asked me what it was that we had seen. Steposaurus the largest genus of Eupolicosaurus discovered to date, this being a group distantly related to the Archosaurus we call Dinosauria. You see, spare the pompous jargon, young man. Just tell me what is this monster that has invaded my property. Well, it's a voracious predator. That's what it is. They seem to have a timid nature, since they one distance itself from you rather than attacking. Eventually, though, they will come to your ranch. It seems the water source in that area has dried up and even their prey, the Procolus magniconus, has sought refuge underground, producing a thick layer of mucus to protect its sensitive skin. This means that they will have to enter your artificial lake and hunt your animals. Mr. Bozeman, those creatures reach over 5 meters and run really well. I advise you to leave the property immediately. Alexander stared at my eyes for a long time. Finally, he let out a forced laugh, which soon became scratchy, like his usual voice. Surrendering? Is that your suggestion? He shouted. I would never leave my property because of a lizard. I still have my machete, threatened the old man, brandishing his weapon. Maybe they are bright, Alexander, Alma admonished, already reaching to her coat pocket. Before she pulled out another candy, however, Bozeman stood up, still wielding his rusty blade, and slammed the door on his way out. He has just the right temperament for dealing with predators, King sneered. Please, 
try to understand it. Alma asked, perhaps not realizing that her hands were already distributing the coconut sweets to the hands stretched out in readiness. He's a good man, you know, extremely hardworking, absolutely honest. It just seems like too big a sacrifice for us to leave this house. It's all we have. I do understand, Mrs. Bozeman, Lucy said tenderly. But unfortunately, there's no other way. We can't fight such powerful animals and we can't live with them either. If you can only convince them of that. If I can only move an old alligator from the lake where it has lived all its life, yes, I can try. Kevin and I will scout the area and try to figure out a way to deal with the animals. Lucy announced. You have to stay, Mr. Frost. Me? But why? Because this genus has longer limbs than most Eupolicosaurus, I tried to explain nicely. It would reach you easily. Frederick looked slightly offended, but his inner relief at not having to deal with the creatures was visible, which probably counterbalanced his feeling of anger. I ask you to stay as well, Dr. King. She added. Jacob looked indifferent, chewing his truffle with gusto, unmoved by what Lucy had said. With a signal from Lucy, I stood up, leaving the comfortable Bozeman dwelling. The house, all made of wood, kept the bark of the logs on the outside, giving the building an aged tone. This, added to the scenery of dead trees and a swamp infested with predators, provided a perfect atmosphere for our suicidal plan. As we went around the cabin, we found five old dugout canoes stacked carelessly, with their respective oars in a separate pile. Rummaging through it, you could see the damage some of them had suffered. The formation of the walls caused by something large crashing into them. Which one shall we choose? I asked. Well, not this one. It has a huge hole in the bow. This one has a small crack right in the center. Exposed to the sun and humidity, it will soon crack in half. Ah, this one! And this other one, too! Pushing the light craft towards me, she joked. We will survive the trip, at least. Cautiously, we put our canoes into the water, keeping a watchful eye on the water around us. We then grabbed the oars and slowly, making as little vibrations as possible, began to move, maintaining a palpable silence. Wait, children! shouted a voice behind us. When we looked to check its source, we saw Alma Bozeman standing on the shore, in her hands a large plastic bag. I've prepared something for you to carry along! she shouted. Before her calls attracted all the alligators in the area, I paddled back and thanked her in a whisper, encouraging her to imitate me. In the same act, I received the package she had given us and paddled again. Careful not to overturn the canoes! She shouted one last time. Even if we attracted a predator, we had to leave her behind. So we paddled faster, trying to leave the area around the range soon. Within moments, Alma's voice was a low rumble and soon ceased. We hoped it was because she realized we could no longer hear her. The pond around us was eerily silent again, as usual, and we saw the shadows in the water once more. 
We should have left in the morning, I commented. Reptiles are more lethargic in the early hours of the day, when they are exposed to the sun's rays for warmth. Do you think they will attack? Lucy asked, without a trace of fear in her voice. I don't think they would. These animals are used to being fed by a man who throws wild ball shreds out of one of his canoes. Besides, it seems to me that none of these alligators could grow to a threatening size. Bozeman turns them into shoes first. What about the beatings we suffered on the way to the area where we found these teposaurus? It's an encouragement for Bozeman to throw food into the water. I have seen crocodiles do the same. As for the missing canoes, I'm not surprised that it happens considering the conditions in which he lives then. Those poor tourists must have sunk and the animals simply took advantage of the available meat. Whenever Lucy said things like this, it sounded to me like a balanced version of what Jacob Keane would say. Indeed, the animals crashed into the walls of the boats, whose walls rose no more than 20 centimeters above the water, but none of them would have been heavy enough to cause the impact damage we saw in Alexander's canoe. Do you think he was attacked by Steposaurus in the swamp? I asked Lucy. I think his first encounter with the animals was a little more complicated than he told us. But how? He spotted the first creature on land, at the edge of the property. Kevin, if I'm right, he spotted it beyond the property boundary. Our paddling was now beginning to become more vigorous as we gained confidence in being close to those animals. Fortunately, this happened, as we still had to go through a few more miles of swamp before we docked in the outlying area. It would still take us an hour at good speed, which meant now going back to the ranch that night and trying to rest on the Steposaurus-dominated shore. When we came ashore, after all, we no longer even had the company of the alligators, as the animals feared the mighty Eupolicosaurus. Our gestures were precise, but accelerated. We had to bring the canoes onto dry land without making noise, and at the same time, we had to immediately find a place to spend the night. We peered over the vegetation, trying to spot the sail that denounced the presence of those predators, but there was nothing, and silence reigned. We then crossed the top of the hill, with the dry lake bed again in our view. Raising her eyes to a huge cypress tree growing nearby, Lucy asked, Can you set a base up there? If there are some strong branches? And without explaining what she would do, Lucy set off in the direction the first Steposaurus had come from, stretching her legs out to cross the vegetation that covered the area. The level of courage she displayed was almost disturbing at times. Still thinking about the difference between bravery and lack of self-love, I looked at what was at my disposal, a frail tree and a few fallen branches. I sighed in dismay, wondering what I would do with so little. Lucy Lane was walking determinedly through that treacherous terrain. Soon she should find some evidence, the smallest thing at least, and uh, another root in the way. This was already the second time she had tripped over the intertwined roots of the low vegetation and ended up falling face first on the sod. At least Kevin was not there to see the comical scene that was now being repeated. It was the right decision to leave him behind, building the camp, as Kevin doesn't understand how far human cruelty can go. He would find out in the future, though, she should just wait for the right moment to come. Now, however, there was one more species whose extinction could be prevented, and perhaps one more bandit to expose, thus letting her have a little fun in the process.
A few more steps and she reached another bend in the lake, which snaked its way through the area. This bend was deeper and, to top it off, it still sustained life. Before Lucy's incredulous eyes, a small group of huge creatures spread out over the area of the bed, drinking from the few remaining ponds. From where she stood, only her eyes were visible, as her whole body was covered up in the best way the animals had taught her. Lucy was also thankful that she was wearing jeans at this moment, any other type of clothing would hinder her movements, and with the stumpy legs of those predators, she might need to be able to run. But for now, those creatures were simply what they were. Animals. No feelings, no hatred, even killing was caused by natural forces. In this respect, the animals were far superior to some humans, ironically being the ones to teach their final lesson to such people before ending their chances of learning anything else. Focus, she said to herself in thought. Those animals were certainly wonderful, but there was work to be done. Walking back across the field, she was now crawling, moving away from the pack and heading in the opposite direction. The bend in the lake she had seen was to the left, and that was the direction she was heading to now, skirting the dry shore. If the lake was deepening in that direction, it was possible that the cause of its dryness was also on their side. Praying that the animals were only on the lake bed, she crossed the meadow to the next bend. This one angled down and ended suddenly, about a kilometer from her current position. Wondering how she would get there without being devoured, Lucy also sighed. I busied myself with preparing a rope in case we needed to take refuge on a swing. I then piled heaps of grass around me and took care to strip the grass of its outer layers, exposing the tough fiber. By laying several of them side by side, it was possible to bend the rows, braid them, connect another just before the first twist, and follow this process until I had a rope in hand. All this work would take hours, but Lucy was doing something much riskier at the moment which convinced me not to complain about what I was assigned to do. This was also a perfect opportunity to think, and that is what I would do, taking care not to lose track of reality, or a Steposaurus would attack me from behind, and I would meet the same man the Diplocolas did. Lucy would find only a rope covered in blood and a swing in the tree. Poetic, but unnecessary. I wouldn't be exposed for much longer, and the chances of me being attacked would be... Hey! My cry of astonishment was brief, but loud enough to attract the predators. Lucy's unexpected arrival occurred just when I was in thought, exactly as I had feared. Chill, she said, trying to calm me down, but it was already too late. In a panic, I climbed the tree as fast as I could, ordering her to do the same. If I had already tied the fiber rope, it wouldn't be so scary to make the move, but I made the mistake of disconnecting myself from reality, and now I would pay for it. Already on the suspended swing, I could breathe. In the distance, we could see some sails moving toward the hill. Functionally, the animals did not understand where we had gone, or they could not bend the cervical spine so far up to see us. We held our breath, unconsciously fearing that even these would be enough to attract animals that could never reach us on the branches. Then two large specimens appeared at the foot of the hill, one of them with a piece of its sail missing, in a shape similar to the jaw of the species. We heard the same low hissing sound coming from deep within their throats, frustrated that they could find nothing. We then watched the huge sails return to the dry bed, where they dug fiercely, digging out their helpless prey.
we have to do something soon. I whispered in a tone of urgency, or oh, this place will suffer a serious ecological imbalance. What do you mean? They are preying on animals that take refuge because of the drought. But look around. It's not the dry season. It is not natural for this behavior to happen now. If they devour the entire show of diplocolas, hunger may change their behavior of the species, and from being timid predators, they may become active, advancing against the alligator farm as they have already started to do. They could make their way to the ranch. Just the idea that huge predators could threaten an old couple was enough to increase my panic. At least the animals had fed and were crossing the overgrown field, going past the twisted trunks again. From behind our tree, we then heard a swaying sound, the same kind the animals did, but more cautiously. Turning carefully so as not to fall, Lucy leaned against the trunk and identified the source of the sound. But it's... He had waited until Kevin and Lucy had left the ranch and the old folks had gone to bed to make the next move. Bozeman had been immensely helpful to his plan, especially in taking the carriers with him this time. Order to stay home! Why, that's a good one. The audacity of this generation. Anyway, there he was, having taken the only canoe left in the lodge. Of course, there were others. Others they would not make it to the other shore, so pitiful was their condition. Now, Going up the hill, he would soon catch up with the animals, and to think that that stuck-up little girl had tried to stop him from being here. Indeed, the last name suited her well. Now, uh, where to start? Dr. Keen? Doctor! He heard from somewhere nearby. Unable to clearly identify the source, he looked carefully everywhere, but could not find its source. Up here, Doctor! Looking up at the tree a few meters away, Keen saw something like a wooden structure resting on the branches and... Lucy and Kevin? But what you doing up there? He asked, surprised. A long greenish rope unfurled before him. Jacob Keen noticed that it was made of plant fiber with several loose ends. Did they really expect him to climb that? Hurry, doctor! Turning toward the lake bed, Keen realized that the same screams that were trying to save his life would be responsible for his death if he didn't climb immediately. A few meters ahead, the Stemposaurus came swiftly towards him, moving with incredible dexterity, ignoring all his instincts and the disgust he felt at the quality of the rope. Keen clung to the twisted fiber, lifting his weight seconds before Joe reached the place previously occupied by his feet in the air. For God's sake, pull! He shouted uncontrollably. Lucy and I had hastily made a loop and tied the rope around the branch within our reach. Now, the strength of the branch, the strength of the rope, and even our tenacity, all these things were factors that would determine the biomedical doctor's future. Finally hoisting the man to a safe height, we tensioned the rope so that it would not give way to their weight, and Kinney himself also clung to the branch to steady himself. Looking down, the three of us finally revealed ourselves to the animals, who now knew of our existence in the area. Eventually, the animals realized that there would be no point in waiting for us to come down. There was much more accessible prey on the lake bed. As we watched the sails turn once more toward the shallows, Keen, still securely attached to the log, asked, trying to disguise his trembling voice. So, have you found anything? Not yet, Doctor, but we know where to find it, at the end of the dry lake bed.
with a still somewhat dismayed expression, Kian dipped his hand into his pants pocket, pulling out a strip of polypropylene that had been folded like paper. Unrolling the item before Lucy, he handed it to her, so that she could study it. Checking it in her hands, Lucy could not believe her eyes. But it's a... A detailed map, Kin added. I arranged for it to be printed out in resin before I got here, but I'm afraid I haven't learned how to interpret these little things yet. In different colors, the document showed the topography of the region, including the lake in front of us, whose maximum depth, according to the code, was 4 meters. Such a large quantity of water had disappeared long past the dry season, making everything even more frightening. Then, without explaining the reason, Lucy turned the map upside down and read it like this, reversing the current position of the lake in relation to the hill. I thought about saying something to her, but the look in her eyes told me to trust the plan and keep silent. Rolling up the resin strip before handing it back, Lucy said, Thank you, Dr. King. Your map was very helpful. Excellent. Now, what do we do to get down from here? At this point, I could criticize all his lack of planning and insight, but I decided that this was not the moment. It won't be long before it gets dark, I commented. Climb the branch that anchored your rope and tight around you. There isn't enough time to build another swing like ours. Pulling his weight over the large branch, Kin leaned his back on the tree and tied himself around it, clinging to the trunk. That's too uncomfortable, he exclaimed childishly. Why, Doctor, you've become far too accustomed to always having a silk bed, Lucy said with a touch of irony. The British man grunted at the remark, perhaps remembering that when he left the ranch, he had also allowed Frost to have the bed to himself. Since we had a more spacious base, we simply leaned back against the trunk of the tree, hoping that the branches would not snap during the night. Darkness then came, covering the land with its blanket of stars. The perfect sight to rest. Around us, crickets made themselves heard the sound being mixed with the constant low roars of the Steposaurus. Even the noise of these animals was no longer so threatening, at least not when we were safe, as was the case at that moment. My eyes closed heavily, and I'm sure Lucy slept soundly too. When I woke up the next day, Lucy gently touched my arm and did so until I was fully awake. Uh, what is it? I asked, still disoriented. Shh, keep it down. I don't want Jacob to wake up. Don't tell me we're starting another expedition without him. But she was already climbing down the trunk, cautiously looking at the ground around the roots to make sure we were alone. I sighed once more, this time wondering what Jacob would say when he found us again. But as I thought this, I was already making the complex turn between the swing frame and the cypress trunk, taking one last look at Kin. The my medical doctor had his head dropped to one side, and his eyes were surrounded by deep dark circles, showing that his night had been longer than mine. Of course, it was not easy for him to sleep surrounded by predators, even after so many months walking with Anthony Lane. With one last leap, I landed on my feet and on a thicket of grass, which absorbed the sound of my fall. Following Lucy, I then turned back to the pond on the Bozeman farm, which was just behind the hill we were on. At this point, there was no noise coming from the Ipilicosor area, and no sign that Kin was following us. He was probably as unconscious as the animals themselves. 
Getting into our small canoes, we paddled to the middle of the artificial lagoon, just where Arthur had previously disappeared. What's the plan? I asked. We are going to reach the other side of the lake plain. If we can cross it, we will go around it. And how do you know how to get there? King's map. The topography shows a raised area that extends from the other side of the lake and reaches the main range road. My goodness! So that's why you turned the map upside down, to make King think that was the right position. A green Lucy added. Don't you think it's strange that King troubled himself to print a map? He doesn't even know how to interpret codes. No, there's a lot he wants to hide from us, and I'm going to find out what it is. Lucy's look was one of determination, perhaps with a hint of revenge, but for no reason. After all, why would she want to take revenge on Jacob? Without the map in hand, all we could do was to go around the large expanse of land that held the lake like a huge basin. The alligators were still bumping to our canoes, but the gesture seemed almost gentle now that we no longer feared them. The distance was enormous, and we could not measure it, but at least we had a boat that could pass between the trees this time, soon leading us through the muddy swamp. Observing the waters we were now crossing, I was glad that they were still I was glad that they were stagnant and tannin filled. Otherwise, we might still see the wreckage of the boatsmen's rented canoes, whose peddlers met their end along with their boats. For the same reason, I was glad that Lucy did not possess the sonar here that she possessed at Luleka, or we would see the macabre outlines of overturned canoes still left in the last position that the crocodilians left them. Hours passed before I could reach the other shore, and we did so knowing that it was the only safe way to reach the bottom of the lagoon. Now, finally climbing the wall that would take us to the end of the inner lake, we felt that all the effort and all the fatigue in our arms had been worth it. The slope was steep and covered with boulders that broke loose as we anchored onto them, almost bringing us back to the base of the hill. My hands burned with the pain caused by paddling for a long time, but I dug them into the mud that made up the side of the hill, which Lucy had also been doing even before me. Finally, we reached the top and sat down on it, trying to catch our breath. In the distance, we could see the other hill, where we had spent the night, and above it, a greenish dot, the tree that had sheltered us while we slept. Looking down at the depression in the ground far below, Lucy smiled, excited. We were in deplorable conditions, and locks of hair covered our faces, but nothing could stop us from solving this mystery now. Slowly, we anchored ourselves to the hillside, this time descending the steep wall that ended at the bottom of the dry riverbed. Somewhere nearby, huge predators, five meters or more in length, were searching for prey, but we still descended without thinking about what would happen. The drop to the ground was much greater on this side, as the height of the hill and the depth of the lake added up to about 10 meters. Having to resort also to our feet now to hold on, we wedged our shoes into the mud wall, already showing signs of physical fatigue. If we were exhausted, we would have to walk back across the meadow, and none of us would survive such an undertaking. Finally, we were a few meters from the bottom. All around us we could now see the land stretching out and then rising a kilometer from us, where it would curve to form the rest of the lake. We dropped to the ground, allowing ourselves to sit down in the mud, 
and observed the surroundings. The same macabre silence dominated this area as well. The walls that formed the banks were solidly dried up, as if the entire region was going through a severe drought. I could see no reasonable cause for such a phenomenon, which made me terribly discouraged, especially considering that we would have to climb the whole hill once again. Hey, what's that? asked Lucy. I didn't even have the strength to turn around, but when I did, my spirits grew strong again. At the other end of the bank, a cannon-shaped mechanism connected to a hose of large circumference, while the other nozzle of the cannon led the hose out of the lake and further up the hillside. It's um, a pump pump, I recognized. So that's it, said Lucy, her eyes smiling with the resolution of the crime. The night had been terrible. As Kin's eyes opened with difficulty, fighting the urge to simply close them again, he could still feel the pain coursing down his spine. He was not made to sleep tight to the trees, his physical constitution required a comfortable bed with silk sheets like the ones that had been his bed the other night. Now Frost slept in it, he sprawled out on the comfortable feather mattress. But anyways, there was no time for resentment. It was time to start another day of expedition. Feeling the heat of the sun burning his face, Kin thought that perhaps it was past the time to start the expedition day. Kevin, are you awake yet? He asked her without turning toward the swing. Lucy, he insisted. Turning the body carefully, Kin found that the structure was empty. But where did the lanes go? He grumbled to himself. All around, there was no sign that the steposaurus were around. There were no ripples in the vegetation, nor any individuals feeding the dry bed. Using the rope that was still attached to the branch, Keen made sure to pull the knot and slip down on it. Strange, he thought, looking around one last time. Why do these animals go when they are not trying to kill me? Sicarius sniffed something nearby. He had always served the hunting purpose for which his master had prepared him. Now that team of clowns would be busy, studying the creatures, while he could see the animals more closely. Alexander Bozeman found himself within the large basin of the inner lake, having arrived here via an isthmus connecting the main ray to the shore. Recalling his plan, he thought of himself as a genius. How could anyone suspect that there was a patch of land on the other side of the basin? His planning was simply brilliant, no doubt about it. Now he was in the fenced area to the northeast of the lake. Here, the clay walls formed a perfect blockade against the heat that scorched the rest of the swamp. He didn't understand much about this new creature, but if he knew one thing about lizards, it was that they rest in the shade when the heat intensifies. In this cooler part of the basin, the animals must seek refuge somewhere. But where? The undergrowth was mostly parched, but still tall, reaching up to a man's waist. No problem, that's what hunting dogs are for. Burrowing through the grass that outlined the clay wall, the raw violet whacked what was left of his tail. Alexander followed behind, leaving a few meters between himself and the dog, as he feared he would run into something without having time to escape. Sometimes, all he used to guide himself through the dry grass was Sicarius's constant barking and the ripples he made in the vegetation. The barks were louder now, and the animal jumped to indicate that it had found something important. Raising his hand to the handle of his machete, he asked suspiciously, What'd you find there, boy? You find one of them? 
As he drew closer, his hand sweated and his breathing quickened as he remembered the last attack he had witnessed. Gathering his courage, he drew his blade from its sheath and struck the stems of grass blocking his front, clearing his field of vision. Emboldened, he charged again into the parched wilderness and continued on until he was right in front of the point where Sicarius was barking. All right, let's see what you got. With enormous disappointment, Bozeman found the dog at the foothill of a mud mound, something like a dirt basin, the perfect miniature of the terrain in which he found himself. Contained within the walls were large yellowish eggs, each the size of an orange. Cheerful, the animal turned from the nest to its owner and back to the nest, beginning to break the eggs with its fangs and lick their insides. Furious, Bozeman exclaimed, Sicarius, no! Those are not alligator eggs, you stupid animal! His hand reached out to pull the animal away from the nest, but before he could reach it, the dog was picked off by powerful jaws that sprang up from the grass ahead. A huge Staposaurus grabbed the Sicarius by the middle of the trunk and began to press down. Bozeman watched in horror, seeing his hunting animal become prey so easily. His legs refused to run, no matter how much his mind urged him to do so and the whimpers of pain made his heart ache, but it was too late. With one last imposition of force, the reptile closed its jaw again. Terrified, Bozeman finally found the strength to run, returning to the wall he had come down. His limbs still tingled, but he had to keep running. Behind him, the sound of the Staposaurus speeding up could already be heard. The huge predator had exterminated its prey, and now it would chase this one away from its young. With a slim advantage, Bozeman reached the clay wall and began to climb as fast as possible. Sticking his hands into the clay, he felt the entire wall destabilize. For God's sake, don't collapse! He cried out internally, not realizing that he was also externalizing these words. When he got some traction, he looked back and saw the beast roaring at the foot of the slope. The being had a macabre and even deformed appearance, as if it was missing a piece of its sail.